Well, over the past few weeks, we've been in a uh, fairly short series for us as a church that we're calling COVID and the Cross, and we're asking this question, what, what does a biblically grounded perspective of this pandemic look like? How, is, how are we as Christians to respond? Now, I say that knowing that perhaps not all in this room are Christians this morning. If you're here and you're exploring the Christian faith or something else has led you here, maybe, maybe you don't even think you're curious about Christianity or faith in general, but something else has led you here, we want you to know that you are so welcome here. But if that's you, this book for Christians is central uh, to who we are and what we believe because this is the book that tells us about Jesus Christ. The first part of the book, the Old Testament, is prophesying about Jesus. It's saying that there's one who is coming, and then the New Testament of Scripture is telling about the life of Jesus and everything that followed that as the church is born and churches go out all around the world. So using this book, we're asking that question, okay, in light of this pandemic, uh, which has changed all of our lives in some way, it has, how are we as Christians to respond. So let me uh, do a fairly impossible task right now and try to quickly summarize the past three weeks that we have been in this series. Uh, far better than me summarizing it right now would be for you to get onto the website if you've not been here for any of those sermons, um, and you can catch up on the website on the media page. But week one, it was this. As followers of Jesus, we need to steer clear of saying things like, this is why God has allowed this pandemic. This is why, because we simply don't know for certain why God has allowed this. Am I saying that God sent this pandemic? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know, we do know because of this book, that God is sovereign over all things. So whatever is going on, he has allowed it to happen. Why? We simply don't know. We don't know. And we as followers of Jesus, we need to be very careful to make statements like, this is why God allow it, allowed it, when Scripture doesn't say clearly why God has allowed this. Come across as being very, uh, very know-it-all, very judgmental, and, and, and certainly not full of compassion to those around us. Then after that, we were looking into this. Scripture clearly teaches that not all tragedies are God's direct judgment for sin. Again, it can be easy for us to uh, think or read things online, um, in, including things sometimes from well-meaning Christians, uh, saying things like, well, there's so much sin in the world, or because of this one issue, usually it's a really hot-button issue, this is why uh, the pandemic has happened, is because it's God's judgment for sin to, to get our attention. Well, we, we don't know that. And there are clear examples in Scripture that we looked at that week uh, where People thought that what was happening in their life, a, a great catastrophe or a disaster in their life, was God's judgment on their life for sin. And what we learn in those stories, what we learned in those stories is, no, that is not always the case. It's a story in the New Testament where there was a blind man and, and, and the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, they say to Jesus, they say, whose who sin caused this man to be born blind? Was, was it his parents? Was it, there must have been some great sin in their life. Was it his parents' sin that, that resulted in this man being born blind? Jesus says, no. No, no, no one's sin that caused him to be born blind. He's not saying that his parents never sinned, but he's saying you cannot draw a line from anything his parents did or did not do directly to this man being born blind. You can't do that. He's born blind so that the glory of God could be shown. And then what does Jesus do? He heals him. And the glory of God is shown. We simply don't know. We don't know if this pandemic is God's immediate judgment 
for sin. We can't draw that line. It's an unhelpful and unwise thing to do. And then last week, Neville helped us looking at this. We need to try to resist making sense of the coronavirus uh, through an end times perspective. Some of you might be thinking, what do you mean by end times perspective? The Bible does talk about things that will happen in, in a later age, about things that will happen before Jesus returns. But the way that the Bible speaks about that, we have to be very, very careful it's very tricky to navigate those things, and it can be easy for us to go, well, this, this, is just, this is the sign of the end times, this pandemic or this disaster. This is what's going on, and, and Christian literature can get full of that. A few weeks ago, we mentioned some books that came out a number of years ago called Left Behind. Um, there, there were fiction books. They were fiction Christian books, for, but for so many Christians, it actually shaped their theology. Like their theology of end times came from those fictional books rather than from this book, rather than from Scripture. We need to be really careful of doing that because Jesus said, no, the only sign that will be given is what Jesus called the sign of Jonah. And he was actually speaking about himself, Jonah being a man in the Old Testament who was swallowed up by a whale in the whale for three days, three nights. Jesus and the sign of Jonah going to the cross and being buried, and being raised to life. Jesus himself is a fulfillment of the sign of Jonah, and Jesus is saying that is the only sign that matters. How did I do? Is that an okay summary of the past three weeks? Yeah, I'm getting a few thumbs up. Some really big smiles behind those masks. I see it in your eyes. You look great. Well done. Okay, good. That's a summary of the past few weeks. Now, as we conclude this series this morning, we're asking this. Okay, in light of all of this, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? This is our final week doing this series. This is not the final week that we as a church will ever speak about this pandemic or the coronavirus, far from it. But in this series, this is the final week. Where do we go from here? What's the action for us? We, we, we like that, don't we? We, we? we often come to church and we want to know, okay, what is it that I should do? What is it that I should do? And there, there are times when, actually, that's, that's a good question to ask. In light of the pandemic, in light of what we've learned over these past few weeks, where do we go from here? Well, the answer may surprise you about where we go from here or what we should do, even what we should be doing right now in light of this pandemic. And the reason why the answer might surprise you is because what I want to speak to you about this morning is not a part of our culture in a wide way. Not only is it not a part of our wider culture, it's not really a part of Christian culture in a big way. It's not something that you hear too many sermons on. It's not something that you sing too many worship songs um, about or a theme that you find in very many, some, but not very many worship songs. And I highly doubt that you will go ever to a Christian conference about it. What I'm talking about is this. It's lament. Lament. What is meant by that word? It means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Have you ever heard that word? If you're a Christian, maybe you've heard about the book of Lamentations. You know that Lamentations has lament in it, but, but maybe other than that, you're not too familiar with it or, or, or what, it, what it necessarily means or how it's supposed to fit into your life if it's even supposed to at all. And the reason for that is that it's not very warm and fuzzy. It doesn't feel that way. We would rather gravitate to things that, that, that make us feel good and, 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 you know, are really, really nice. 
Lament doesn't seem to fit that type of description. It's kind of why we love, for example, Jeremiah 29.11. This is one of the most quoted verses in Scripture all over Instagram, all over T-shirts, bumper stickers, the whole works. And many of us in this room, we know it, don't we? For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. That's a good verse in the Bible. That's a good verse in the Bible. But did you know? That most scholars believe that the same man who wrote that is the same one who wrote Lamentations. Lamentations. Lamentations 1, verse 1. Let me read it for you. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who is great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. You're not going to find that on a bumper sticker. (laughs) Even if that was not written by Jeremiah, even if those scholars are wrong, still the book of Jeremiah has great lamentation throughout it. He was known himself as the weeping prophet. He was known himself as the weeping prophet. Lament is supposed to be part of the Christian life. Lament is something that we are supposed to do. We worship the God who invites us to lament and who ministers to us in our lament and through our lament. Why? It's because there's grace in lament because lament helps us process the pain that we are experiencing. Lament helps us process the pain that we are experiencing. And because of that, it's a grace. Lament is a gift. It's not something to be despised. It's not something to hold at bay. It's something that God intends to serve you. Now, our culture is great at at, at trying to sex and smoke and drink and spend our way around our tragedies and our pain. Really good at trying to cover them up that way, but we're not that great at trying to process our pain in a healthy way. Have you seen that during the pandemic? Have you seen that in your own life? I know I sure have. In the lives of those around you, many who are running, and look, I am not going to point the finger, many who are running to other things to try to mask the pain rather than trying to process it in a healthy way. We must process our pain. We must. If we don't, it remains unresolved. And, and it will rear its head in ugly ways at other times in our lives. I recently came across an article written by a leading psychologist where he was writing about signs of unprocessed grief. And let me just share a handful of these with you. One sign of unprocessed grief is irritability and anger. Another one, continued obsessing and missing of the other. Other in quotes, it might be an, an other person, The other might be a job, a great thing that was lost, whatever it it, it may be. It could be a person or otherwise. Also, a fear of loss, kind of in in all aspects of life, a hoarding. We often associate hoarding just with with material possessions, and that can be true, but there can be a hoarding of other things as well, because I, I, I I don't want to lose anything because of this immense loss that has already been experienced. So there's this grabbing on, this grabbing hold. Addiction or self-harming behaviors, an apathy, numbness, or even low-grade depression. 
psychologist is talking about these things all as possible signs of unprocessed grief. Have you seen this in your friends and family over the past year and a half? Have, have you seen this in yourself? Have you seen this in yourself? I, when I go through that list, I've seen some of these things in me. Have you seen some of these things in yourself over the past few months as you've been navigating this pandemic, this extremely difficult time? It's important that we process our grief. It's important that we acknowledge our pain. It's important that we lament, including lamenting the coronavirus. But we do not need to lament alone. We don't need to lament alone, and I mean that in two ways. Firstly, we don't need to lament in isolation. Isolation has kind of become quite a, quite a buzzword over the past 18 months, hasn't it? But as we lament, as we consider the pain caused by this pandemic, and uh, let me just pause for a minute to say that for some here, and we've said this a few times over the past few weeks, the pain in your life, if, if there's a major one right now, it might not be coronavirus. And I mean that in the sense that, they, that you've perhaps not had the virus or your close family and friends perhaps hadn't had it, but there's something else. There's a different tragedy. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a different hardship that is big for you, has been big for you over the past few months, is big for you even here this morning. If that's the case, you and I, we don't need to lament. We don't need to consider the cost and grief in isolation by ourselves. The church is meant to be a place where the people of God are able to come together and not walk these things alone. Because what does the Apostle Paul say in Romans? That we are to mourn with those who mourn. We're not supposed to do this on our own. One of the greatest tragedies of the pandemic, and there have been many, has been the physical isolation that we have had to endure. Because as people have been grieving, as people have been looking at loss in their life, for much of it, they have been so restricted in being able just to be with others in the same room or to have a hug. I don't mean that in a trivial way. There's, there's something that we, we need that. Something important about that, about proximity, about being able to be with others. So as we lament, I mean, I, I'm... Praise God that we're able to even that, that, that we as a church are able to come here and just enjoy all this caution tape together is great because we get to be in the same room together. And, and I trust over the coming weeks and months the, ta the tape will lift. Caution will go. <laughs> all right? And we'll be able to be together as, as we want. And, and I'm looking out and I know some of you are here for the first week or two and it's just hard. You come in and, and it's like, oh, I got to sit with all this caution tape around me. Well done for just doing it. But it's hard. It's hard. But still, we want you to know you don't have to lament alone. And I love this morning that Andrew and Talene welcomed the life group leaders up here. I just want to add my encouragement to theirs. Please consider a life group. Consider a life group at all times in your life, particularly if you are a follower of Jesus. Get to know a handful or maybe eight or ten people in the church really, really well. But I want to plead with you at this time, as we are still in the midst of a pandemic, please really consider a life group. Please really consider a life group because we, we need it all the time. We really need it right now. We really need it right now because there's been so much isolation over the past 18 months. So in that first sense, we don't need to lament 
in isolation. We don't need to lament alone. But the second way that I mean that we don't need to lament alone is this. The good news of Jesus Christ means that we can lament with hope. It's not lament by itself, but that we can lament with hope. Now, there are many examples in Scripture of this, but one that I want to draw you to is Psalm chapter 13. I'm going to read the entire psalm, and you'll see this pattern throughout the psalms and other books in Scripture as well, but I think this in six fairly short verses does a wonderful job of summarizing what is meant by that, lament with hope. Let's, let's listen to this psalm. Your Bibles might have this title over it, How Long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Lament. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Have those words come out of your mouth in some way over the past year and a half? They sure have mine. How long? How long do we have to do Zoom church, God? It's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to be together. We're supposed to be able to break bread together. You told, Jesus, you told your church to do this. How long, O oh Lord? Lament. But with hope, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. I have trusted in your steadfast love. There's grace in lament. Lament is part of God's plan to help us process our pain and our grief. And it may sound strange, but as we ask this question of where do we go from here, church, what I want to give to us this morning, what I believe this book is giving to us this morning is where do we go from here? What do we have to offer those around us? I believe that we have to offer lament with hope to our city, uh, to our family, to our neighbors, to our colleagues. We can be very quick to try to apply Romans 8.28, particularly in Christian circles, right? We know this verse. Many of us will know this verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose... It's a wonderful verse, but we tend to fire this verse out, ignoring the two verses that come before it, which says this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God." Oh, friends, do we understand the significance of this? This is massive for us. Not only is the Holy Spirit of God interceding for you and for me in our moments of weakness, but the Holy Spirit of God is interceding with groanings too deep for words. In that moment when you are grieved, in that moment when you are experiencing immense pain, it's not what the Holy Spirit is saying. What is it? It's what the Holy Spirit is feeling. 
for you. Deep down, groanings, the innermost being. There's a sense, there's a sense in those moments when we are at a loss for words because of the pain that God the Holy Spirit is also at a loss for words because of the pain. Do you know that? Too often our relationship with God is just expecting a line or just thinking that God is up there floating among the clouds, looking at our pain and sorrow and just wanting to fire out just a little, little piece of advice and just speak it. No, in that moment, God feels, God feels deeply for you and the Holy Spirit is interceding for you in that moment with groanings too deep for words. This is massive. What grace. What grace. N.T. Wright, he's an English theologian, wonderful gift to the church. He says this about this very thing. He says, at the very moment when we discover that we ourselves are groaning and don't know what to say or to do, at that same moment we find that God himself, God the Holy Spirit, is groaning as well, groaning without words. He says, there's a pattern here. Those who have long pondered the story of Jesus will recognize it. We expect God to be, as we might say, in charge, taking control, sorting things out, getting things done. But the God we see in Jesus is the God who wept at the tomb of his friend. Now we might think, well, that's not all he did. That's not all he did. He raised Lazarus to life. Well, he did, but that's not what he did first. What did he do first? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus. Let me ask you this. When you think about the pain of the past year and a half, about the coronavirus, about how your life has changed because of this, have you slowed down, stopped to count what it has cost you? As Christians, we can be among the worst at doing this because we can default to things like, no, 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 you just, you just got to have faith. Just name it and claim it. Just, just, just worship through the pain. Worship, worship through the storm. No, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. Have you stopped to consider what it has cost you? Have you stopped to consider the pain that you are experiencing? Church, have you? If not, do it. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But do it. And know that in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God is interceding for you, even if in that moment you find yourself at a loss for words. Stop and take the time to lament. Take the time to lament. And often that's not just a moment. <laughs> Actually, I would say it's never a moment. It can often be a season of lament. It can often be an extended time, but we don't need to lament alone. We lament with hope. We lament with our eyes fixed on Jesus, our hope. Why? Because the cross of Jesus Christ is where we see lament with hope most beautifully and perfectly displayed. The cross of Jesus is the place of both I thirst, lament, pain, suffering, and it is finished. It is finished. Jesus, having done everything 
necessary, the perfect sacrifice to fully satisfy the wrath of God. No more animal sacrifices, no more having to go to a particular place in a particular city, no more, it is finished. What hope all who come to God now come through Jesus because of what he has done on the cross. The cross is the place of both lament and hope. And church, I believe that's the place that the Holy Spirit is leading us to right now. And as we prepare to sing and respond in worship, we are going to take communion. We're going to remember the cross. We're going to remember Jesus there in our place where he said, I thirst. But where he also said, it is finished. And we're going to take the bread and the wine and we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done. We're going to celebrate that in our lament, still we can have hope.